BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, we saw Raylan Castor make her Young and Restless debut as Faith. And I have to say, I think she is doing a great job out of the gate. So she's a little older than her predecessor, Olivia Allen Lind, which I think will work to the show's advantage in terms of playing her older and possibly creating a romance with Moses. Um, But in our new issue, we have an exit interview with Olivia and I got so choked up reading it. I mean, Olivia was at the show since she was three. And just the way she described what YNR means to her and what it was like to say goodbye was heartbreaking. You know, she said she had a three-day headache from crying so much after she left. And I mean, that's just the saddest. But um, I heard Sharon Case and Joshua Morrow, who play her on-screen parents, Nick and Sharon, were pretty broken up about it too, which is understandable since they've literally seen her go from toddler to teenager. Um, And you know, it's such a special bond that comes into play here when people have worked together for so long. But the added level is that they're family and she's still so young. So it must have been like very bittersweet. Oh, for sure. You know, there are are plenty of examples of mother-daughter duos on soaps where the actresses worked together for so many years and the on-screen mom sort of became a second mom. You know, you think about uh, Fanola Hughes and Kimberly McCullough from GH or uh, Cassie DePaiva and Kristen Alderson from One Life, like who've, you know, remained very close all these years. I, I certainly imagine that Olivia and Sharon's bond will likewise stand the test of time. And I'm sure it wasn't an easy transition for Sharon and Joshua to make on a certain level, but uh, of course I understand why YNR decided to go the route of recasting. You know, I, I think we've seen uh, Faith's story pick up a lot in recent months, and just from what's coming up in the near future, it's obvious that the show has really big plans for the character, which is great because why wouldn't they? You know, she's, she's like a double legacy character with, uh, you know, Nick and Sharon as her parents and Nikki and Victor as her grandparents, it makes perfect sense that she would be the centerpiece of Genoa City's Generation Next, just as it made sense for Sierra and Claire to get that kind of focus on Days and for Cameron and Jocelyn to get that kind of focus on GH. And, you know, I remember when they recast Sierra with Vivian Giovanni in 2015, and fans were so upset because they'd seen Lauren Bowles grow up in that role. Mm -hmm. And then Vivian got to play the reunion between Sierra and Bo when Peter Reckle came back, as opposed to Lauren, which, you know, felt a little less impactful because we had never seen those two together in a scene before she had been, you know, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as soap kids may seem like background at times, the relationships they have with their on-screen family can mean a lot to viewers. And they want to see these big life moments celebrated by the people they know. Now, in Olivia's case, she got another role and chose to leave. But oftentimes, the kids are just aged for story purposes, so it can seem like a jip. Yeah, you know who's bracing themselves for that happening to them is uh, Kirsten Storms, who plays Maxie on GH. Uh, I asked her recently how she felt about Maxie being pregnant with her third kid, and she was like, you know, it's fine. We never see the kids anyway. Uh, But she said, what's really going to get me is when all of a sudden they're going to make one of my kids a teenager, and I know that day (laughs) is coming. You actually have a great story in our new issue with someone who's certainly no stranger to having his on-screen kids aged. Brian DeTillo, who plays Days as Lucas. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, you know, Brian just marked 28 years since his Days debut, and he and I spoke for our Best in Show feature, where stars tell us their favorite things about the job, from, you know, favorite scenes, favorite lines of dialogue. But when I asked him about Lindsay Arnold, who plays Allie, who has now been aged, he said that he feels she's destined for big stardom and that he'll be saying he worked with her when. 
And, you know, you and I were just discussing what a fine she is and how adorable she and Lucas Adams were on the podcast. But based on her talent, I think Brian really may be onto something. Yeah. And, you know, we also talked about how he had a lot of problems learning the dialogue in the beginning and how Deborah Adair, who played Kate at the time, really helped him with that, as did then-executive producer Steve Wyman. And, um, you know, then Brian also mentioned that he's grateful for having health insurance because his wife, Liz, is battling breast cancer, and my heart really goes out to them. Um, I had asked him, you know, how it felt, what it meant to him to still be on days, and that was his answer, which he admitted, you know, at first he was kind of kidding about, but then actually realized he was serious. Oh my gosh, well, my thoughts are definitely with the Dottillos as well. Um, Now, Passions viewers did not get to see Sheridan and Louisa's son, Marty, grow into an overnight teenager, (laughs) but that's not to say that Passion stuck to a realistic timeline or a realistic anything for that matter. Uh, But I know that we are both so excited to have Mackenzie Westmore as our guest today. She played Sheridan for the entirety of Passions' run and has gone on to become an entrepreneur and was the host of the fantastic reality competition show, Face Off. I am so looking forward to catching up with her. So let's get her on the line and see what she's up to. Hi, Mackenzie. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. Well, we are so excited to talk to you today. We have been talking about getting you as a guest for a long time, so it finally worked out. I know. I got to tell you, I am thrilled because first of all, I haven't talked to you or seen your face in ages, so to get to talk to you and like have this time is, is I, I love this, so thank you. Well, we have a lot to talk about with you, especially because you have just such an interesting childhood. So you were born into a family that is a Hollywood dynasty in its own right, legendary in the world of makeup artistry. So to touch on a few of their accomplishments in this arena, your great-grandfather created the very first studio makeup department. Your grandfather was a makeup artist on Gone with the Wind. Your father is a multiple Emmy Award winner for his work on the Star Trek TV franchise and won an Oscar for Mask. So tell us about growing up in such a creative family. You know, growing up, it, it didn't really resonate with me right away. It was, it was one of those things where it was like, okay, Cher's coming over to the house today. Okay, cool. Like, you know, as a kid, it doesn't resonate. It it sounds crazy. Um, You know, as I got older, obviously it was like, oh my God, I had Cher in my living room. But as a kid, you just don't think these things through. Um, You know, I don't really remember my time. I spent a lot of time apparently with Robert De Niro um, at three years old because I was in Raging Bull as his daughter, but I don't remember any of that. Um, I do remember certain actors coming over to the house. I remember um, one particular actor, John Lone, because my dad had his lab where he would run the rubber and do the makeup tests at, at home, really. It made things a little easier to do things at home before I had to leave on, on location. But he would do things at home. And that was a separate part, like detached from the house because that's chemicals and that's heavy duty stuff. But I'll never forget, there was a, a movie my dad was doing called Iceman. And if you ever look it up, it's actually a really good movie. Um, and it's about these scientists that find uh, a Neanderthal. And this man, John Lone, this actor, John Lone, was playing the, the Iceman. And as a little girl, I had the biggest crush on him. And my memory of it is I was in my jungle gym, playing in my jungle gym, like trying to show off while he was hanging out in the lab. And my jungle gym was outside the lab. And I got stuck. My foot got stuck and I ended up like flipping over upside down and hanging and started screaming bloody murder for someone to help me. He ran out and helped me, untangled me and like carried me in his arms. And it was one of those moments of like, oh my God, <laughs> not only is he like my, my crush, but now he's my hero and savior. And <laughs> so look up John Lone. <laughs> Oh my not, one, not an actor that everybody knows, but he became like the end-all, be-all for me. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. It John, was funny. if you're listening, was call us. <laughs> yes, exactly. John Lone, if you're listening, you got, the truth can be told now. I had the biggest, maddest crush on you. <laughs> Between he and, he and Brent Spiner from Star Trek, it was just oh. like, it was over for me. <laughs> In fact, that's a funny story because, and Brent Spiner is a friend of mine now to this day, and he does not know this, but when I was a little girl, I would sleep with his headshot under my pillow. <laughs> Be honest. Does that continue to this day? 
no, oh my God. <laughs> no, I think my husband would not be okay with that. <laughs> okay, well, let's not gloss over the fact that even if you don't remember it, it's so amazing that at three years old, yeah. you were in the film Raging Bull, such a classic. Um, and even if you don't remember Robert De Niro, what do you know about how that all came about? So what happened in a nutshell was my dad, again, was doing the makeup, running the rubber at the house and then his lab. Um, my mom was always home. She was, you know, cleaning and, and doing stuff around the house and did paying bills and, you know, typical stuff. And uh, she was there, you know, keeping an eye on me, but Robert De Niro was hanging out and he would babysit me basically. And there just was like a connection. And my mom could see this, like she would be in the kitchen and she'd like look around the corner and she saw this happening. She saw this like blossoming, you know, relationship of like a father daughter kind of thing. And my mom went to my dad and said, Robert's going to ask for her to play his daughter. I'm telling you. My dad was like, no, it's not going to happen. And then like a week later, my Robert De Niro went to my dad and said, would you be okay if Mackenzie played my daughter in the movie? Like I have such a rapport with her. It'd be really easy to just have her play my daughter. And that was it. So I, I, again, I, I know the story, but I have no memories. But the funny thing was, is I would say when I was around 20 years old, I started Passions and my dad was doing Star Trek and I went to visit my dad. My dad said, you got to come with me. Robert De Niro's filming. Let's go say hi to him. I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. So we go to his trailer. We're sitting there waiting. Robert De Niro walks in. Mike, how are you doing? And he keeps like looking at me like, it's not quite clicking. And then all of a sudden he looks like in my eyes and he goes, baby Mackenzie. And I was like, what? And he's like, oh my God, baby Mackenzie. And he grabbed me and he hugged me. My eyes are what triggered it for him. And I'm like in this hug with Robert De Niro, like, oh my God, Robert De Niro is holding me in his arms right now. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, God. like hyperventilating. <laughs> that's so amazing I'm starstruck you know i mean obviously something like robert de niro it's like how do you not freak out <laughs> uh yeah I, i'm just coming yeah. off a week of like repeats of the godfather 2 on showtime so i'm like oh yeah it's exactly. like hugging you oh my god i know i know it was so sweet and so amazing and so lovely and you know again going back to the growing up side I, again it didn't fully click but i remember one time it clicked for me when my dad took me to the emmys he and a friend he took a friend of mine and me as as like his dates to the emmys and that that was when it, when we drove through like the gates and the red car that's when it clicked for me I'm like oh wow my dad does something really cool <laughs> well, he's a big deal <laughs> well did you ever you know, want to pursue like acting and performing after that as a child? Like it, were, was oh, that yeah. an interest for you? Well, what happened was when I was a little girl, it was after Raging Bull, after I'd done a couple of things, for some reason, I don't, we don't know what happened, but I went mute for about a year. I wouldn't speak and I would hide behind my mom's legs and anybody that tried to talk to me, I just hide and I would not speak. So my mom being Canadian, uh, she didn't, she believes in therapy and all of that, but you know, Canadians, they have a, a different way of doing things. So she talked to my dad about it and said, you know, let's not do the therapy route. Let's try acting classes first and see if that helps her come out of her shell. Well, <laughs> it was like, you can't shut me up. <laughs> so they put me in acting classes and it was a little like rough for me at first. And I was still very silent on, on the stage but I would do a lot of like just acting out with acting with no, no sound. I just would act things out. Like I remember the first thing I had to do was open an imaginary chest, find something inside and hold it in my hands. And for me, I don't know why, but it was, and it now it kind of makes sense actually as an adult looking back, I envisioned a butterfly. And to me, I look back as that was the metamorphosis for me in my life at that moment. And I, as a little girl, I just, I opened the imaginary chest. I found this butterfly. I was gently holding it in my hand and then I let it go off and into the air. And I look back on, I'm like, that is so telling psychologically of what I was going through. And after that, I started to speak and then I fell in love with theater. And from that point on, I just, I get then started to sing. And that was even a fluke because when I was a little girl, I loved watching the reruns of the original Star Trek. And I would sit in my room and I'd watch it. My parents heard the theme song and they came in and they thought, and they're like, oh, you're watching it again. I was like, oh no, I was singing the theme song. And that's when they realized, oh, Kenzie can sing now. <laughs> so they instantly then put me into to opera classes. <laughs> wow. So they, they were very, you know, amazing about when they saw talent and not, it wasn't like they pushed me to do anything. They saw talent and they said, 
do you want to do this? And I was always like, yes, I want to do this. So they were always the first ones to inspire me and to encourage me to follow my dreams and do this. And so, yeah, as, as a kid, that's all I wanted to do was Broadway, acting, singing, dancing. And I'd say it was somewhere around my teen years is when, when I thought, okay, maybe I need to follow the family's lineage and history and become a makeup artist. And I started to go that route of learn, taking classes. Wow. So it was a flip-flop back and forth. <laughs> okay, this is so much to pack in considering <laughs> how young you were yeah. when you landed passion. So bring yeah. us back to that time in your life and like what you were doing before passions came into the mix. Oh, that was such a crazy time. Okay, so I'll be very honest about a couple of things, um, but on, on like more subtle side, so pre-passions, I had just finished, uh, let's see, at 18, I did an episode of, I got my first like guest role in a show, Weird Science. Mm -hmm. And I was there like, quote unquote, babe of the week, but I got to sing and I was a pirate maiden. <laughs> so I love that. That was super fun. And then I ended up getting, I, I would audition for Star Trek, all, uh, Star Trek Voyager and all those. And I wouldn't get it. You know, I wasn't getting it. And finally I went in, I changed my last name <laughs> and I'd already dyed my hair blonde because I was, I have jet black hair, dyed my hair blonde, went in with a different last name, booked the role. I'm not saying that it was just the last name, but it was an interesting thing. They did not believe in nepotism. Mm -hmm. So got the role, um, played Ensign Jenkins with Garrett. Uh, Garrett was my, my co-star who I just absolutely adore. He's a sweetheart. And they, when that finished, there was talks of Ensign Jenkins and Ensign Kim, Garrett's character, becoming boyfriend and girlfriend. But there was talk of it. That was it. So that was happening. Meanwhile, I was still auditioning for things. And I had started to audition for Passions and got called in for Gwen and read for Gwen several times. And while this was all going on, nothing was really clicking. I wasn't getting any of the other auditions I was booking. Star Trek wasn't happening. Passions just kept calling me back, which is great, but it still wasn't happening. My dad said to me, he's like, look, you've trained Shakespeare, you've trained the classics, you've trained in opera. Why don't you go off to college? I talked to some people on set. Why don't you go? Why don't you find, let's find you a great reputable college. We looked at, um, I'm trying to think of some, like New York, we looked at, what's the, Juilliard? I looked at that, looked at a bunch of them. I ended up with the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. Auditioned for that, got accepted, was ready to go, pack my bags. And then I was waiting um, and funny enough, here's like a little side story, but when I was auditioning for passions, I was constantly stuffing my bra because I felt really uncomfortable about my chest. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'm not booking these roles. Maybe cause this was during the time you got to remember, this was like around the Pamela Anderson era, you know, all that stuff. So I'm thinking, well, maybe that's the issue. Maybe, maybe I need boobs. Maybe that's my problem. And I went and had breast implants. And I will never forget because I got the phone call. I pick up, I get a phone call. I'm, I'm like days out of surgery, like maybe a week max out of surgery, sitting in the kitchen with my parents, totally depressed because I'm still like recovering and there's no work coming in. And I'm like, you know, 20 years old. And, and that's just my mindset. I've always been a workforce. I never was one to like, you know, just sit around and like do nothing. I've, just, I've always been a workforce. So I pick up the phone, the phone rings, my mom asked me to answer, I get it. And they said, is Mackenzie there? I said, yes, this is her. Well, we need you to come in for a fitting. And I'm like, fitting? I'm, I'm assuming it's Star Trek. And so I think, well, I already have my, my Star Trek uniform. Like I already have it. Like, why do I need to do a fitting? Are you, are you changing the colors or something? Or, and so I wasn't understanding. They're like, no, no, aren't you Sher aren't you, you're playing Sheridan. And I was oh, like, wow. wait a second, what? And they're like, yeah, you're Sheridan Crane on Passions? And I was like, what? <laughs> 10 minutes later then, as, as I'm like getting into this conversation, five minutes later, my agent calls and says, you booked the job, <laughs> but Warren Chubb got to me first. So that happens. I then have to call the college, call Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. I ask them, what would you do? And they're like, you take the job. You know, you'll always have a space here. You can always come, come here whenever you want. They were very sweet about it. They said, every student that's here is wanting what you've just been offered. Take the job. So I take the job, but the thing for me, and I didn't tell anybody this at the time, I had to get on a plane to France only two weeks after my surgery. Wow. So I stayed quiet about it. And I kept in touch with my surgeon of, 
what do I do? I'm, you know, swelling on a plane when I get there. And then of course they had me running in the streets of France, um, you know, playing, there's like one scene where I'm kicking the, the, the foot, the, the soccer ball around, you know, with the kids. And I actually popped a stitch. And I remember calling my surgeon going, what do I do? And they're like, well, how soon are you coming back home? I was like, I'm on the plane tomorrow. They're like, okay, come in as soon as you land. <laughs> Everything was fine. Thank God. <laughs> But the guy that played John Luke actually helped me out. He went to the pharmacy for me. He was getting me stuff. He knew what was going on. Oh my God, that's crazy. There was a whole drama just even before the show even started. That's incredible. <laughs> now, obviously this was the show created by James E. Riley, who had yeah. done, you know, such incredible work at Days and now was creating this like very interesting new soap opera. So did you ever talk to him? Did you ever meet him? No, I met him for like two minutes. Okay. What I was told was that he really didn't want to know any of us. That what I this is what I was told that he didn't want to know any of us as human beings. Like Mackenzie Westmore didn't exist. Sheridan Crane existed. Galen and I met him for about two minutes in New York, and that was it. Nobody else met him. That was the the longest and the most anybody met him. Um, but that was it. So no, he he always uh, you know told that from what I again what I was told was that he just didn't want to know any of us. He didn't want it to interfere with what he was writing for us storyline wise. Right. So we've heard the same thing. <laughs> so a really story. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. So uh, the reason, of course, that you were in France is because the Sheridan character was created with this backstory that she yep. was close with Princess Diana. And that garnered a lot of attention and was somewhat controversial. Uh, oh so my God. remember about the reaction that, that that got and, well, your reaction to it in the script, I guess, even prior to the audience getting a crack at it. Well, what's interesting is prior to Passions, prior to all of this, when Princess Diana, uh, when all of that happened, I actually, my dad was on HSN launching a makeup line and I was his model. And I'll never forget it was right as he launched, Princess Diana died. And that was the beginning and the end of my dad's makeup line on HSN. Because nobody was watching HSN. They were all watching the news for weeks after that. So that was it. He was done. Oh my so that was like two years, I think, prior to us doing Passions. And it was a weird connection. Like just that weird con that connection of like, wow, this was, I just watched, you know, my dad have a makeup line begin and end all within one day. So two years goes by. I get the script and it doesn't click for me for some reason of what I'm filming. The only thing for me is that it's like, cool, I'm 20 years old, I'm in France, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, going to all the spots, this is amazing. The only thing I had a problem with is that I had to drive through the tunnel that she did die in. Mm -hmm. That was really, really rough for me because I had to drive, first of all, in that big roundabout, the famous roundabout in, in Paris, and that's a nightmare because there's no lanes, nobody's paying attention, nobody cares. <laughs> it's an American driving. It's bad enough if you're on the 101 and 405, but this is a whole other level of crazy. <laughs> and so that terrified me. And then I go into the tunnel and I broke out in hives. And thank God they had a stunt double for me that was actually a guy wearing that pink little dress. <laughs> a very tiny man. <laughs> he ended up having to do the scene because I just couldn't do it. And they had him do all the stunts and, and do everything. It was really, I have a photo somewhere of he and I both of the dresses together. And uh, it just was hysterical to see his hairy legs like come in the dress. <laughs> like he couldn't have found a woman, really? <laughs> so they had that. We had that. And, um, you know, from there, uh, I just, it was, it wasn't until the show aired and I remember sitting and watching it with my parents. Now, mind you, the Sharon and Louise stuff hadn't happened yet. It was just this stuff in, in Paris. And I'm watching this and I'm going, oh my God, what did I do? I just turned down a top college. I just turned down potentially continuing on Star Trek. And I just entered a show that began and is going to end my career. That's it. I'm done. I'm washed up. Nobody's going to hire me again. This is so atrocious. Like, this is what's going on in my head. I'm like, this is horrible. I'm never going to be hired again. I'm going to be blacklisted from Hollywood. And I was so amazed that that became like the most talked about storyline. It became a guilty pleasure. I remember being on Rolling Stones that it was so bad that it was good. And I was like, okay, I guess there is no such thing as bad press. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there you are 20 years old having quite an incredible entree to soaps that most people don't have, like shooting in Paris is sort of not a thing. So like, did you think, like, what did you even think about what your experience was going to be after that? 
Like that's a high bar to set. <laughs> it really was a high bar. Yeah. And it's funny because I was, I was like, wow, I get to go to Paris. Where am I going to go next? <laughs> you know? And then I'll never forget like years later, there was a scene that Gail and I had to do on a boat and that was supposed to film originally in Hawaii. Then it got moved to, I think, Mexico. Then it got moved to San Diego. Then it got moved to Long Beach. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like Marina Del Rey. Like as you kept getting like news and news, like it kept getting worse and worse, like <laughs> less and less glamorous. <laughs> and Gail and I'm like, great, we're in like, you know, Long Beach now. <laughs> <laughs> Sheridan and Luis, as you well know, became one of the premier couplings in Passions yeah. history. Uh, so tell us what like stands out to you about the years that you spent working with that jokester Galen Gary. <laughs> he is a jokester. You know, it's funny because none of us really knew when that show started who was going to take off. We didn't know. Nobody said anything. So we didn't know like what characters would take off, who would be like a star of the show, if there was going to be a star of the show. We didn't know. I mean, the only thing I knew was that we had Juliet Mills. And that to me was like, okay, well, there's our star. <laughs> you know? She's a 300-year-old witch with a talking doll. Um, so that's all you need. <laughs> so I just was happy to be along for the ride at whatever level, whatever degree. Um, it wasn't until that I did that infamous tango with Galen. And when we finished that scene, the applause that we got on stage, that's when it clicked in my head, this is something. I have a feeling the fans are going to love this. This is, there's something here. And then when I saw it, I, because I watched it every day actually with my parents in the first couple of years, I would go home and watch it with them if I wasn't working or they would record it or something. And, uh, but I remember watching it with them and all three of us were like, this is going to be big. Something's going to happen here. And, and sure. And my mom was always really good at like calling that stuff out and knowing when something was going to click. She always nailed that, which is always, it's always been so weird growing up, uh, mm -hmm. but she called it. And it, you know, sure enough, that was a scene that really took off. And, you know, through the years then with Galen, it was, it was only like laughter. I mean, it really was, he, he's just such a funny guy and, and you couldn't help but laugh. Even some things that he would do that'd be so stupid. I mean, I'd want to slap him, but I'd be like, God, you're so freaking funny. I can't slap you right now. <laughs> the only thing that I ever wanted to like pay him back for, <laughs> one day we had a kissing scene and he purposely ate a tuna salad sandwich before coming on. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> However, actually, I think I kind of did get him back because I had food poisoning in the flu one time and they, I still had to go in and work. And I asked him, I said, please just keep a, a um, trash bin nearby. And in between takes, I'd throw up and go right back, my evening gown, hair, makeup. And even Galen was like, I am not kissing her. <laughs> I was like, why? Why don't you want to make out right now? <laughs> so it ended up, there was a scene, I got to find this scene because it ended up like hugging. Like it was so awkward and so lame, but we ended up just like, instead of making out hugging, <laughs> Like, as, as one does, right? As one does, yes. When you're madly in love, you hug it out. <laughs> in the age of COVID, they do that now on soaps. Well, that's true. We'd be fist bumping. Right, right. <laughs> Romantic elbow. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, elbow action. Well, let's talk about some of the actors who played Sheridan's relatives. So first, tell us about playing with Ben Masters. Oh, yeah. Uh, so tell us about working with Ben Masters, who played Julian. Ben Masters was another one that I just adored. I mean, I loved everybody on that set. You couldn't help but love everybody on that set. Every actor that was there, you know, crew, everybody was amazing. And Julian was just one of those ones. I mean, he was such like a loose cannon of a human being in all the right ways. And he just made it fun and entertaining. And he also would be there, you know, if you needed advice, if you needed a shoulder, he actually was there for you. So he was, he was always a really good, amazing man. I mean, he just was, was fantastic to work with. I mean, top-notch actor, so eloquent and, you know, so well-spoken that sometimes I was actually intimidated doing scenes with him, um, especially in the early days, super intimidated. But he was, he was always amazing. He was, he was fantastic. Well, you had two uh, actors to work with in the role of Ethan, uh, Travis yes. Schultz and Eric Martzal. So tell us about uh, working with those two guys. Again, both great guys. Travis was, um, 
you know, obviously Eric is completely like comedian 24 seven. Travis was a little bit more subdued, <laughs> but Travis and I actually, I did their uh, podcast and we were laughing because of the, the, the yoga scene. There was a yoga scene where, where Sheridan was doing yoga in her living room and we got the script and we're like, okay, Sheridan's doing yoga in her living room and Ethan's sitting there watching her, talking to her. <laughs> what? We even questioned them. We're like, is there something you're not telling us? Are we not related? Are we going to start making out? Like, is there like some storyline? Yeah, we're like, there has to be something else. There's no way it's just her nephew chatting with her and watching her do yoga. There's no way. But that's what it was. She's doing yoga and putting her rear end in his face and they're just chatting. Not like, at all awkward. Okay. Totally. Not awkward at all. <laughs> you know, that we'll that might it. be the least bizarre thing that ever happened on Passions. What are you talking you're, about? You're absolutely right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. It was probably the most normal thing to happen. Because <laughs> doesn't every aunt do their yoga in front of their nephew's face? <laughs> yeah, always. Especially in like, you know, tight, skimpy clothes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, later on in the Passions run, you also worked with John Riley, who passed away recently. Yeah. Played Alistair. What can you tell us about him? What you remember? Oh, that I, I when I saw the news of that, that I cried that day. I cried that entire day because that just was so heartbreaking. And I reached out to his daughter even um, because he just was salt of the earth. Talk about a man that was so beautiful inside and out. Um, incredible soul, incredible heart. And he was always so giving and, and never put himself first. And that's what always impressed me. Like if, and he also too, when, because there were some gnarly scenes between Sheridan and Alistair, obviously, you know, he was so mean to her. He would apologize to me after takes. He would actually say, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. I'm so sorry I have to do this to you. And I'm like, that's right, it's acting, we're acting together. You know, just hug me and we're good. <laughs> and that's how he was. That was a human being that he was. That was the man that he was. And, and you know, he was really just incredible to work with. Not, not one bad bone in that man's body. Well, uh, in addition to the Shuis coupling, uh, Sheridan also, of course, was married to his brother, Antonio, Yes, uh, played mm -hmm. by Christopher Douglas. So what stands out to you about that triangle or that relationship between mm -hmm. uh, Sheridan and Antonio? Um, I know the fans always laugh because I always say Antonio is BS. That's become like a, the, the newest, like one of the phrases I see on Twitter a lot. <laughs> Hashtag Antonio BS. Um, <laughs> because listen, I, it, when, when it, when the storyline started, I got it. Like it kind of in a passion's way made sense that Sheridan was blown up on a boat and had amnesia. So yeah, that made sense. Um, ending up on Bermuda, all that stuff. Like to me, I thought it was a great way to switch it up and have Antonio come back to town and you find out it's his brother. I mean, it's so soap opera. It was so perfect. So all that stuff I loved. I thought that was really well written, really well done. I thought to make that triangle was great. And then you throw Antonio into the past lives and you know, you have all that stuff going on. So I loved all of that I thought was phenomenal. Where I got irritated was the ending. The ending to me is what was the BS part. Because to me, if you're gonna end a show that became very iconic for fans, give the fans what they want. You know, I, the fans did not want Sheridan off with Antonio and the fans did not want Luis off with Fancy. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just, I wish they could have ended it differently. I wish somehow like maybe, maybe Fancy and Antonio meet and they're like, hey, you're pretty hot. And they go off. Like that would have been a better way to do it. Right. No, for sure. <laughs> I know. It really like doesn't compute to me to this day no. that they didn't get the happy ending. When I got the script, I, I was so upset and shocked. And like, how could they do, like, even as Sheridan, I, I was really disappointed. I was like, what? They're marrying Sheridan to Antonio? What? Like, it wasn't computing in my head. I remember wrapping up the whole show going, what? Like, like nothing about it computed to me. Mm -hmm. And it just was the most random, weird way to wrap up the show, in my opinion. That's just, you know, that's me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, well, Passions did have a very devoted following and I mean, yeah. certainly has secured its, you know, cult standing in the years since it went off the air. Um, but, you know, because of that fantastical nature of its storytelling, you know, it didn't get a lot of critical acclaim. You know, as <laughs> like a, someone who was starring in that show, did that ever bother you? Did you care about how it was received by critics <laughs> as opposed to fans? 
No, I mean, I wish it had gotten more notoriety. I think that part of the problem was it was ahead of its time. You know, I remember when True Blood came out and I was like, ah, God, I wish Passions was around now. Like now is when it would have probably struck, but it never, I was never one of those actors where I was like, oh, it should be bigger. Or, and I was also never one of the actors where I, you know, left production wondering would I resign. I, to me, I was just grateful to have a job. I was acting, I was doing what I love and, I, you know, making a great income doing it. So why would I ever like leave that or, or think down upon? I, I was always so grateful. So I, I never looked at it as, you know, I, I, I wish that it had gotten more notoriety, but it was what it was and the fans loved it. And that, to me, that's what mattered most. And I always, I always said that, that it, making the fans happy was the biggest thing. That was the biggest deal. Mm-hmm. And they really still do love it, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's Especially pretty- generationally. I feel like anyone who's younger than I meet or younger than me, they watch Passions, you know? Like yeah. that really always topped the list for people who came into the office, like for different positions after a yeah. time, they were huge Passions fans. It's funny because I still, to this day, will get like cameo requests. Could you say what? something is Sheridan Crane? You know, <laughs> tell us a story or, and it's like, of course I will, but it blows my mind that to this day and even pre-COVID and the, the pandemic, um, when I would go out, it always shocked me that I would get recognized as Sheridan Crane. And I'm like, I'm like 20 years older now. Like, how is that happening? A, and B, you know, I had other shows, I've done other things, but no, I would always get, oh my God, you were Sheridan. Even when I did Face Off, there were Face Off contestants that would get like a little nervous and I'd be like, why are they so nervous? Like, what's going on? And then I find out that they were Passions fans. Wow. And that, and I would, I would, the minute I found out they were a Passions fan, I would walk up to them, I'd hug them. And they'd be like, oh my God, what's going on? I'd be like, I love you. I love that you watch Passions. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So um, when the show did come to an end, obviously outside of the disappointment that you felt in the ending that was scripted for, yeah. for Sheridan, what was it like for you, especially since you did have such an appreciation for the job and had been there steadily to like know what was going off the air to live through its con- its cancellation on like on a personal level on a personal level um you know it's interesting because the final day that we filmed you know I, everybody's like are you gonna be okay my family are you gonna be fine i was like yeah yeah i'm fine i'm fine my best friend actually he knew better he he knew me so well that he and he had access they knew him he was constantly visiting and you know so they they knew that um he they knew his name at the gate and I always left it at the gate you know Henry Farman can come on whenever he wants so he had like carte blanche to come visit whenever he wanted he knew better and he knew that I was not okay and I'll never forget coming off set after we wrapped the very last scene said our goodbyes to everybody said you know good night to everyone goodbye I got to my dressing room I, I I was walking up the stairs and then it started to sink in the sadness the depression it started to hit me and I opened the, up my, my dressing room door and there was Henry. And I ran to his arms and started sobbing and just started crying because he knew, he knew that it wasn't going to be easy for me. And I just, I couldn't stop crying. And then of course, because he's there, then I'm crying even more because I actually have somebody to hug and hold. And <laughs> I, I lost it though. I just, it was, it was devastating to me because especially when you're on a soap opera, you know, during that time, you see soaps that are on like 40 years. So I just, I kind of always felt, yeah, I'll, I'll be on the show till I'm 80 and dead and, you know, dead in the ground. You know, I'm going to be on this forever. I really saw it that way that I'd be in a walker on that show. <laughs> Never in my wildest dreams did I think that the show would end. So it was devastating that it was like eight, nine years. I was like, what, how is this ending? So yeah, it was very devastating for me. Mm-hmm. Well, besides going to Paris, one of the other very cool things that came out of Passions was your 2001 turn as Mackenzie Westmore in an episode of Friends, where you presented the favorite male return category for which Joey was nominated at the Soapy Awards, which as Soap Opera Digest fans know is what the Digest Awards used to be called. Um, So what do you remember (laughs) about that experience? Oh, that was amazing. You know, it was, it was so interesting because of the soap world being so fast paced, you know, we do like a hundred pages in a day and you barely have time to breathe on when you're working on a soap opera. It's amazing how fast paced it was. And I mean, I always inevitably had 25 to 50 pages to memorize every single day. 
And that was like, you know, on a good day. Some days it was more. I'm one day I had 99 pages to memorize in one day. And that's a whole other story. I cried that night before. (laughs) Um, But that, you know, then going to something like Friends, it was so weird for me because it was like, okay, hurry up and wait. And I remember sitting in my trailer most of the time, like hours passing, like what's going on? Like not understanding it. Like, I was so used to this fast paced and I kept asking like the ADs, like, you know, are, is everything okay? Like, is this like, and they're like, no, no, we're good. We're on track. We're totally on time. I'm like, this is on time. Okay. <laughs> it's been five hours, but put that aside. Everything else was amazing. Um, Jennifer Aniston, I have to say was the nicest human being. And I didn't even really, my scene wasn't even really with her, but she was in it. Um, but she was the sweetest person. She was so lovely to me, so kind, like showed me around certain areas, like showed me like, you know, around set. And she was amazing. She was, they all were very sweet, but she really like top notch. Now that show is, has legs. I mean, besides the reruns, I mean, any, we did a podcast with uh, a young actress on days who says she watches it every night before bed. Like that, for yeah. people in their, you know, who are teens and twenties, like they're watching it matter. pre-pandemic where you recognized for friends a lot or for being on that show. Yeah. In fact, a funny story with that one, I was on a cruise to Mexico shortly after that episode aired and I kept getting recognized on the cruise ship and not even anybody really coming up to me. I mean, some people would, but not really say anything, but people kept staring at me. And then one day just didn't feel like leaving the cabin and just kind of like laying in the bed and was watching TV. And then I realized because there were only like three channels that were working and they just kept looping the same thing. My episode was looping the whole time, <laughs> the entire cruise, the whole week. So like three or four days into this cruise, I'm like, Oh my God, do I even leave the cabin now at this point? It's only going to get worse. <laughs> that is really incredible. I watched the clip today, uh, by the way, on YouTube, and it's it holds up. It is as funny today as it was. It is, yeah. It's a very funny episode. And it was, you know, and of course, then they say my name, they say Mackenzie Westmore. And that was the thing that was throwing me is that people on the cruise, they're going, oh my God, you're Mackenzie Westmore. I'm like, how do they know me? <laughs> like, what? Like, I was so confused because I'm playing this Sheridan Crane on Passions. Like, nobody knows Mackenzie Westmore. Like, how the hell do they know me? And then I'm like, oh. That's why, because Friends is looping on the cruise ship. Really incredible. So funny. <laughs> well, um, after Passions, you uh, came to All My Children to do yep. a fairly short-term role as the extremely nefarious Dr. Riley Sinclair, who was uh, Annie's, like, not-so-therapeutic therapist. So tell yes. us about your All My Children experience. That was another amazing experience. Um, you know, with, with passions having ended and, uh, you know, not really quite knowing which end was up still. Um, I think it was Michael Bruno I was, I was dealing with and, and he called me and he said, you know, how would you like to do my, all my children? I was like, wait, all my children as in New York, all my children, <laughs> you know, I'm a Cali girl. And he was like, yeah, how would you like to do that? And I was like, you know what, why not? So uprooted the family. Um, they didn't provide lodging or anything like that. So thank God we have family on the East coast stayed with, um, my sister-in-law at the time. And, uh, we just stayed there the entire run. And I, it was, I think like nine months, maybe I was there. And it was funny because I mean, I loved it. The experience was amazing. Susan Lucci was in the dressing room next to me. She took me under her wing and showed me everything. Um, and also too, because her daughter played my best friend on passion. So even more so we, we already knew each other and had a connection. Um, and I loved that character. The, the tough thing though about that character is that I remember leaving the set a couple times and, you know, it's a different setup than it is here in Los Angeles. But when you leave the set, you're on the streets of New York city. I can't tell you how many times I was either yelled at or spit on by people that knew the show and hated that my character was trying to kill Annie. So Aiden was actually the one that came to my rescue several times and wow. would like chase people off or oh <laughs> like, my try God. and help me because <laughs> he lived around the corner. So he, you know, we'd walk out together and he, he was always like there to, to save me and help me <laughs> because people hated Annie. And then it was funny because it really, the whole, the whole character ended because I just was missing Los Angeles. I was, it was tough. The New York thing was not what I know. Like my whole family's here. I'm born and raised here. 
um, you know, I, I, after that many months and that much time and the winters, oh my God, I don't know how anybody does it, but God bless you for doing it. <laughs> I just was having a tough time. And I, I went to the, the casting and producers and I said, I, I just, I can't do this anymore. So they just put, put uh, Dr. Riley Sinclair in jail and she's still there. <laughs> Maybe she'll come out one day. <laughs> So in 2011, you were tapped as the host of the acclaimed reality competition series, Face Off. So first of all, what a great show, and you were a fantastic host. Uh, how did you get involved with it? Uh, that's another fun story, because I uh, got the call to go read for it and, and to, or to meet the executive producers. So I met them. Um, actually, to be honest with you, even before I went in to meet, my name was brought up by my dad. My dad, that's how it was. My dad was interviewed as a judge, a staple judge. And he said to them, do you have a host for the show? And they're like, we're thinking of maybe like having a host. We're not sure yet. We've got a couple of names in mind, but you know, what's what? And my dad said, you know, we'll take a look at my daughter Mackenzie. You know, I know she's known for soaps, but she grew up in the lab next to me. She knows special effects. She knows this world. You know, even though she's a soap person, you know, take a look at her. Well, one of the executive producers, Dwight Smith, had worked on, I think it was General Hospital. And so he had a soap opera background. He's like, oh my God, I know Mackenzie. So Dwight and the executive producers were actually the ones really fighting for me. The network, it wasn't clicking for them. They weren't quite getting it yet. They still saw me as this soap girl, which I get. And so they called me in, they had me go on camera. And the first time it was too like hosty, too scripted. And then I kind of then I, they would inevitably they would always call me when I was like stuck on the one on one freeway and like in a t shirt and jeans. And the funniest thing was is they would call me and they'd say, "Can you come in right now?" And I'd turn around, I'd get off the freeway, go back to Burbank, and I'd always show up in a t shirt and jeans. Well, I guess the network was like, "Does she ever wear anything else? Like, can she dress a little nicer for her interviews?" And I was like, "I don't keep, I don't keep an evening cat in my trunk. I'm sorry." <laughs> So I went in probably like four or five times because the first time was too hosty. The second time was too natural. Third time, it was like, there's always something. And then finally they just said, the, the executives were like, listen, this is what we want to do. And they made that, that judgment call. And then when I got on set with Glenn Hetrick, Sci-Fi was like, okay, we get it. We, we get it now. So it just, it was a natural fit because it is, it's a world that I know. So again, I understand the confusion for them, but it was frustrating because it's like, oh, can I just have a job now, please? <laughs> Well, you really, I, I, I feel, had such an obvious aptitude for it as well. And I discovered that show like on Netflix and I just like streamed the heck out of it. And I salute you. You were, you were oh, really thank fantastic. You. Um, I also met your husband on the yeah. set of that show, if I understand. So I would like to hear yeah. a little bit about that love story. That is a funny story because when I we first did season one, I was filming um, the one of the original, uh, like one of the, one of the first episodes before, like the, the judges were introduced. All I was told through the grapevine was Glenn and V are available, but Patrick can't be bothered to show up today. And in my head, I'm like, who the hell does he think he is? <laughs> who is this guy? Like, what can't be bothered to show up? So a couple of days goes by. He finally shows up on set and I, I was being nice. I was being cordial, but not really talking to him. Cause I'm just like, what an a-hole. Like really? Like who can't be bothered? <laughs> yeah. Can't be bothered. Like what is that about? So, but again, we didn't really chat too much. And then it was like after season one, I found out that what happened was, is his contract hadn't been signed as his, his agents told him, don't go to set. Do not show up on set. He didn't know. So he just was told don't go. and. But nobody told me this story until down the road, he and I got to talking and I was like, so what's that whole thing about you not showing up? And he's like, no, 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 my agents, they, I, the contract wasn't signed. I was told not to. I was like, oh, and then I felt horrible because I totally like judged the guy and like, <laughs> I'm like coming up with this whole thing in my head that is it because he's French. Is it because he's like, you know, right. He like races motorcycles. Like, I, I don't know why, but like, I'm coming up with all these like things in my head of you know, why, why he couldn't be bothered death that day. And so, as romance developed and <laughs> Yeah, the rest was history. Then you got into season two and it was really funny because we thought, you know, we're on the same show together. We probably should keep this quiet. 
and I'll never, my parents knew about it. One of the funniest things that happened, and I don't think I've ever told this story. This is the first time I'm telling this story for all face out fans. Um, we were doing the finale of season two. We were on this amazing stage. I had my beautiful like gowns that I always had. And he came back to say hi to my parents in my dressing room. And we're all there. And I dropped something and we both went down, like he went to go grab it for me, but I didn't know that he was going. And we both went down and some, I forget exactly how it happened, but he smacked me with his head. My parents witnessed it, smacked me in my face so hard that I had a bloody nose and I had to be on, I had to be back on set. And we're panicking because we're like, oh my God, people are going to like ask, why was he in your dressing room? <laughs> why is he there? <laughs> What's Patrick doing in Mackenzie's dressing room to begin with? <laughs> right. And she's a bloody nose now. Like, <laughs> Suspicious. No. Yeah, it's not a good look. No, my mom immediately grabbed an ice cold Diet Coke, pushed, like shoved it on my face, like, trying to stop the bleeding. <laughs> oh my God. It was a mess. So we, we were able to like get it all cleaned up. Nobody knew. Nobody knew anything. Went to makeup, got, got, just made sure everything was covered. <laughs> well, I guess if you and need, we were, you know, makeup help, you were on the right set. It was on the exact right show. Right. Exactly. Right. And if I needed a fake nose, I was good. I was covered. <laughs> <laughs> so then what was it like, I guess, when you came forward and then we're working together? Um, you know, it was, it was funny because he then ended up going off to Bulgaria for the movie 300. Now we, I mean, he was in Toronto with Total Recall first, and then he fully left face off. And, you know, we started this relationship with him back and forth. And it was, it was always so tough. But that's, you know, when we, when we came forward about being in a relationship, it was like, it, it was no big deal. But to me, I always thought, well, you know, when you're on set, and you're working together, like, you don't talk about that. And, but Nobody cared. <laughs> it was not a big deal. Right. I was like, oh, okay. Could have said something sooner, I guess. Like, bloody <laughs> knows when it mattered. <laughs> um, but it just, you know, everybody, they, they actually championed it. They thought it was amazing that we were together. And, um, you know, it was almost like the, the you know, between my, my family and then his, his incredible background of, of, you know, production design and directing and, and Hollywood artistry and was like the two two families coming together like this like okay whatever <laughs> but a lot of people saw it that way it's like to me it's just like no I just love him you know <laughs> yeah he's incredibly cool and artistic and talented but I just love him but for for fans they thought it was so cool that you know the Westmore and Teutopolis came together like <laughs> okay great um but you know it's just the the travel is what became the toughest thing and i will say that has been probably the biggest blessing for the two of us through quarantine is that we have had this time together and that has been amazing because to have him for an entire year in the same house is we don't we didn't know that and to now have experienced this and to have gotten this like i don't i keep saying i'm like is there a baby of film that can be done in Calabasas and like <laughs> can you, you do maybe do it in the backyard <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like is there something that can be done when things open back up <laughs> I guess I don't want him to go I, I love having him here and it's it that's been the blessing for me through through uh you know quarantine with with all the ups and downs and all the the, the bad that's happened um, for me, that's, that's been the positivity and the light is, is getting to have this time with him. But in the early days, it was, you know, like I said, it was kept quiet and, and season two, we were very quiet about it and, and nobody cared. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, well, in 2019, you went public in People Magazine about being diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome when you were 10. So mm -hmm. why had you kept it private and why did you decide to share your story? I kept it private because it was so um, misunderstood. Uh, when I was on Passions during those years, during during like uh, the early 2000s, Tourette's was not something that people really knew what it was. And if they did, it was joked about as a swearing thing. And and that's all people knew. And so I was very embarrassed by it. And I could hide it very well on set. And what I would do is I'd go to my dressing room and I'd just have let my teeth go. I'd be able to release them. Or when I got home. Um, but I, I just had to keep it quiet. You know, when I acted and when I, when I knew the cameras were rolling, that's when... I like it would stop. It was really so fascinating to me because I would film my rehearsals in my dressing room and I would watch and the minute the camera stopped, like I would just kind of turn my head and you, I would let my ticks go. And then the minute they'd say rolling, it was like nothing. 
nothing. And the same thing on Face Off. And it's, it's interesting because if you go back and watch Face Off even, I didn't always know the cameras were rolling. So there are moments where I'm there next to my dad in the lab through the walkthroughs and my eyes are blinking and my head's bobbing around. And it's not me being, you know, like I'm not caring or being annoying. It just, it was my tics. And so I just kept it quiet because it was just a very misunderstood thing. And when, again, Henry, my best friend, when, when he was doing this thing for Easter Seals, they had a challenge they were doing and um, Easter Seals for disabilities, they were, they, they did this, uh, he did this movie called uh, Goodbye Dessa. And I played one of the characters in it. And talking to the people of Easter Seals and talking to people on set, uh, they just said, you know, you got to be free. You, you got to be free of, you know, with your life and, and what you're living, what you're dealing with. And I thought, you know, maybe this could help other people. You know, maybe the timing is right. Maybe it is appropriate now. And, and working on that movie really helped me to feel like, okay, you know, I'm, it's okay to be different. It's okay to have uh, an, an issue that maybe people don't understand. And maybe now is the time to help people understand. So that is why I came out with what, having Tourette's syndrome, because I wanted people to know that like many things like autism and many things, there are degrees, you know, it's, it's Tourette's is not just about swearing 24 seven. Sometimes it's little things like I blink my eyes. I furrow my brow. Um, for some reason, when I cook, I squeak like a mouse. I don't know why, but that's what I do. <laughs> and I used to squeak in school and you know, it was, I, I, my friends, people in the class would be like, what is that sound? I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. <laughs> because it was just one of those things that, you know, it embarrassed me. And, but as I got older, I was like, there's no reason to be embarrassed. There's no shame in this. It's who I am. It's not some off the wall, weird diagnosis. It's a very common thing that people didn't even know they had. So I felt by coming through with my story that maybe it would help others to understand that maybe do they have this? Maybe this is something they should look into or, oh, okay. It's not just about swearing. It can sometimes be just a facial tick. It can be a verbal tick. It can be, you know, something super simple like mine. I love this whole, like, letting it all hang out vibe that I feel like you've really come into. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a really nice energy I'm getting from you. I oh, like, that's sweet of you. I like Thank that. you. You know, I really, as I, as I came into my 40s, that's really what it was about for me. It was like, you know what? I'm not holding back anymore. You know, it's just, it's all coming out. It's, there, there's, there's no filter. Filter's gone. And it just, I, I want to share with the world, the, the truth, the honesty. Um, I, I think we're in a place in our society now, especially where that needs to happen. Um, there's just, even, even like we, we just had this discussion actually with my company, with Westmore Beauty about Instagram filters. And that's why I went on TikTok and did a whole like TikTok about here's my dark circles. Here's my frizzy hair. <laughs> Instagram is not real. You know, social media is not real. So I think that we're, we're in this age. And I know for me, I'm in this age where it's just like, I just don't care anymore. It, it, I am who I am and you take it or leave it. <laughs> right. Here, here. Um, right. So, uh, your, your makeup company we want to hear about, you have become a cosmetics entrepreneur uh, with your line, Westmore Beauty. So what was the genesis of it? And just tell us where it is today. That has been the most incredible journey um, because it's not anything. Like if you told me 20 years ago that I'd be a makeup entrepreneur, I'd be like, well, come on, <laughs> what are you smoking? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, that really like, I mean, it, it still to this day shocks me that this is what I'm doing right now. Um, because I, 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 I always felt like there was something there. I remember even saying to my manager when I was even on passion saying, should I do a makeup line? Like I see some of these celebrities and people doing perfumes, like, should I do? And they're like, no, that's stupid. And I was <laughs> like, huh, guess I wasn't so stupid. So, um, basically I would say about five, six years ago when I was still on face off, I thought, okay, I had passions end <laughs> unexpectedly. I'm sure this show is going to end at some point. I don't want to be stuck again like I was with passions of, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I thought I'm on a makeup show. I've got a makeup family. I got makeup history. Why don't I start a makeup line? <laughs> it just is a no brainer. So I um, connected with a chemist and we went to QVC. We pitched them the story. We pitched them concepts and we pitched them even products that we had already developed. But the first one we developed was... Um, a 24 to 48 hour foundation that was waterproof and sweatproof and you could sleep in it if you wanted to. Um, 
And that's what we launched. And I remember going on QVC and selling out my first time on camera, which blew my mind because that like does not happen. And it's been five, I think six years this year now on QVC. And it's been amazing. I, I, it's been just such an incredible ride and such a blessing and so much fun to get to create lines and create different products and look to see, well, what is the need out there? And you know, what do people want? And we're very much about listening to what the women want and men too. Um, because some of my products are amazing for men and, but I'm very big on, and you'll see on my social media, if it's Instagram, if it's TikTok, if it's Twitter, if it's Facebook, whatever it is, I will respond to people. You know, if I can catch it, I'll respond. And I have a bunch of people that even help me and they'll say, Hey, did you see this one? And I'll go back and I'll respond. So I'm very much about listening to customers and consumers and what they're looking for and trying to stay ahead of the curve on that. And last year we actually won two, um, customer choice awards, one best instant fix. And it's for what's called our 60 second eye effects, um, which I'll be on Tuesday, next Tuesday night with, and it's an under eye gel. You just swipe it underneath you tap and it, you feel it just gently like hug your face. And it, it pulls, I call it Botox in a bottle <laughs> because it just pulls everything. And like all the bags and wrinkles go dark circles, go goes with every skin tone and it lasts 24 hours and it doesn't flake or crack. And you can emote, you can laugh, you can smile. So that one best in some fix. And then we won best finishing powder, which shocked me because that was a little bit of a sleeper product, but it's phenomenal that I'm on Friday night with, um, and it's two for the price of one. And that one, it's actually a blurring complexion powder and you can swipe it on over clean, uh, clean skin. Um, the fun thing about that is that my, my family actually invented the first translucent powder on a Hollywood set. And my great uncle was known for saying that if it didn't feel like pure silk, it wasn't good enough. And that's because powders, they emphasize lines and wrinkles. So they already knew ahead of the curve. And so that's when I worked with Westbrook Beauty and created a talc-free, um, weightless, pigmented powder that just, it, it blends in with any skin tone and just floats over the skin. And you know, if you get a chance to see it, you'll see one of my models, um, she's got some lines in her forehead and they're gone. And this is within a couple of swipes and just gone because it creates this like, you know, natural filtered appearance. Um, so it's been really, really uh, a blessing to, to get to do this. And I, I teamed up with my, my partners now are Guffy Renker, um, joined with them about two years ago now, I think. And they launched an infomercial that is uh, going to be relaunching again in May. Um, they, you know, you, you'll see the Facebook ads, you'll see all these different things. They're so good at it. And they just did such a phenomenal job at, at creating the infomercial. And I, I just feel so blessed and lucky to have them as partners. That's amazing. So other, so besides QVC and what's going to come out, is there anywhere else that they can be purchased? Okay. It is available on Amazon, westmorebeauty.com, QVC. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Facebook ads and the Instagram ads, I think they all will go to, they probably go to westmorebeauty.com, but Amazon is the other one. Okay. Um, and tell us about Maddox. He's doing amazing. <laughs> um, he's, you know, like I said, growing leaps and bounds. He's about six feet tall now, going to be 15 in May. And, um, you know, he's, he's been such a, a strength through, through all of this, which has impressed me through um, quarantine and, and COVID. You know, he's, he's been very, very strong through this because I, I personally was actually diagnosed with lung disease right before everything shut down. Right before they told us that this is, we've got this horrific disease going around. And that was a scary diagnosis to get of lung disease uh, because I was actually supposed to get on a plane to go to QVC the Monday after the Friday I was told. And my doctor was like, you can't leave your house right now. You don't understand the severity of this and you can't chance get catching this. So when my son heard this, he was like, I, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to just stay put. I want to stay with you, mom. I don't want to see my friends. I, he was very adamant where kids were out in the street playing and you could hear them. I, and my, my heart broke for him because you could hear the kids playing basketball and like throwing the ball around. And, and I would even say, you know, do you want to go? And he was like, nope, nope. I don't want to. Not chancing you. Not risking you. Because I felt bad. And he was like, I don't want to risk your health. And so he's been uh, such a little rock throughout this whole thing. I shouldn't say little. It's not little, but he's been my rock along with my husband throughout this whole thing of, of strength and, and getting through this. And, but he's doing great. He's in high school now and uh, you know, come fall time, he'll be back in school and he's, he's just, he's doing good. Well, when you do think back to uh, you know, 
1999, you make your Passions debut. Uh, the, the, the role that your soap experience played in your career and also your personal development, how would you say that landing the job on Passions changed your life? It changed my life um, just in that it was like all of a sudden, you know, at 20 years old, it's like I'm on this brand new NBC primetime soap opera. It, it was just like, you know, not, not that I went from rags to riches, but that's how it felt for me, you know, from this actress that, that you know, I'd gone on already like a thousand auditions, have been told no 995, no, 999 times, I think, because I only got one or two jobs. I'd already gone on so many auditions that to book this one after six months of auditioning was, it was completely life-changing. It was, it was such an incredible moment of my whole life turned upside down in all the right ways. Well, I can only imagine. And you've certainly had a very devoted following since then. So before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to say to those fans who have followed you since your uh -huh. debut in 99? I just have to thank all the fans so much because they have continued to follow me through the years. Um, they've stuck with me. They, they are, are such big advocates of Westmore Beauty. Um, I just, I, I have to give a huge thank you and, and God bless you all to the fans because I wouldn't be where I am today if not for the fans. I really give it all to the fans. And I know they're, they're advocating so much for me to jump onto another soap, which I would do in a heartbeat. I would, I would love that. I was very close to actually almost going to Young and the Restless. Um, and that, that was a very close one. And sadly it didn't happen, but I know they're, they're, you know, really championing me to join another soap, which again, I would do in a heartbeat. And I just, I, I can't say thank you enough. Like, I, I just feel like I can't say thanks enough to the fans because again, I wouldn't be where I am today if not for them. Well, let's put that out there then. Mackenzie Westmore <laughs> is available and we'd love to see you back in daytime. Um, this was so much fun to catch up with you. This is so great. Thank you so much. And um, I, I, I'm already like, when am I going to get that powder? I'm going to go on, uh, you know, MackenzieWestmoreBeauty.com when we hang up. Yes. <laughs> I can send you some if you want. <laughs> I will say the deal on Friday, it's, it's, we've been doing some amazing, like we just did one. I did one yesterday morning. I was on at 9am. It was three mascaras for $29 and they curl your lashes. It's a technology that actually curls your lashes without curlers and sold out in like eight minutes. I think they might've gotten some back in right now, but it was like, how could you say no to three mascaras for $29? That's like drugstore price. Well, again, thank you so much. This was such a fun chat. Yeah. Thank you. And we hope to see you soon. Yes, hope to see you soon. Lots of love. Bye, Mackenzie. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Mackenzie Westmore for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. <laughs>